If you're looking to sell your private company's stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. TechCrunch is back in San Francisco for our flagship event, Disrupt SF. We've got a fantastic lineup of startup and tech leaders on tap, like Snapchat's Evan Spiegel, Postmates' Bastian Lehman, Salesforce' Mark Benioff. Plus, you can experience an entire track of how-to content to help you grow your business. Hear from experts at Bumble, Fitbit, Uber, Goldman Sachs, YC, and more. Also, we'll be recording a very special episode of Equity right in the middle of Startup Alley. Get a ticket now and come enjoy all the goodness. And if you act now, you can save another 20% by using promo code equity. Just visit techcrunch.com slash disruptsf. Hello, and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture podcast. I'm TechCrunch reporter Kate Clark, and I'm joined by the driving force behind Extra Crunch, Danny Crichton. How's it going, Danny? Uh, it's going well, Kate. We are recording on location today from TechCrunch's uh, Session Enterprise event, where we're talking to everyone on the enterprise infrastructure and SaaS uh, markets. Bear with us if there's a little background noise. We are live at the event, like Danny said. Um, so we have a special guest with us today, Jason Green, the founder and general partner of Emergence Capital. Hi, Jason. Welcome. Hi, Hi Kate. Hi, Thank Danny. you for joining us. Great to be here. A little fun fact about Jason, and Alex isn't here to say the fun fact this week, um, but Jason is a twin, married to a twin. That's right. And you don't have any twins, which you've informed us of. We don't have twins. <laughs> what we a have, mystery. We had a lot in common. We know how to share. So just a quick background on Jason before we get going. Um, he was an early investor in a ton of well-known enterprise companies, including Box, Yammer, Steelbrick, Success Factors, Visual Networks, Service Max, and DoubleClick. That's right. Yeah, and Emergence is, um, was started really with a 100% focus on enterprise, and we've been around about 15 years now. And when so. you started, were there many firms focused solely on enterprise? I actually don't think so. I mean, certainly, I was, I was at another firm before starting Emergence, and we, we did a lot of enterprise investing, but as a focus of the entire firm was quite unusual, and frankly, still is unusual today, mm -hmm. despite the growth in the area. Yeah, you think there'd be a lot more specialty firms like completely focused on enterprise. Yeah. Well, we, we, uh, we're glad we did at the time. So. so as we are at the enterprise event, we are planning an enterprise-focused episode, but there was some big news that dropped this morning that we felt like we had to talk about. Yeah, so overnight, uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that um, WeWork's investment bankers and its, its corp dev team um, are potentially cutting back its IPO price from $47 billion to potentially as low as $20 billion, which is actually lower than the secondary that SoftBank bought a year ago from uh, WeWork employees. And so this is huge news, right? So the S1 came out, I want to say, two, three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, it, it clunked on Wall Street. Everyone looked at this and I think is really seeing the, the losses accumulating quarter over quarter, quarter uh, along with sort of macro factors, you know, US-China trade, um, the challenges in real estate, um, slowdown in GDP. And so, you know, net-net, um, it looks like WeWork's going into a really tough era. Right. I mean, like you said, there are tons of factors. There's also the fact that Uber and Lyft, you know, have not performed well. This is another Decacorn company going out. And I think Wall Street's skeptical. So WeWork is expected to potentially begin its roadshow next week. But do you think there's a possibility that they might delay their IPO entirely? From what I understand, that they are in discussions with SoftBank for another potential private market financing. When does it end? So, <laughs> I guess when SoftBank yeah. runs out of money, which doesn't seem to be anytime soon. Um, certainly, so. yeah. I mean, they've got another like what ninety billion lined up for their second fund. Yeah. There was news today that they've lined up the Abu Dhabi State Fund to invest in Vision Fund Two. 
Oh, which wow. we weren't sure of. Yeah. So That's I a big mean, deal, yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. The Mubadala, uh, the Abu Dhabi um, Sovereign Wealth Fund. Look, I, th- I think it's interesting of, you know, we looked at a bunch of companies in this space and, we're, you know, if you look at, say, Datadog, which seems to be doing really well, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, but, you know, the numbers actually do matter at some point, right? And I think there is this translation God, from the private right? market. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the numbers That's why you're an matter. enterprise. See, <laughs> consumer, it's never about the numbers. But an enterprise, you know, at some point, the, the numbers catch up with you. And I think yeah. for a lot of the investors on the public markets, they're seeing this and saying, look, you know, the, the raw economics were not there. There were huge gaps in the S1. Um, I read through it in a, in a, at a bad morning of reading through 400 pages of, of legalese. Good for but you. it's like, there's just no good numbers in there. Yeah, and quite uh, some questionable governance issues as well. That's right. And that's Absolutely. been raised in prior companies, but in particular in this case, where some real interesting some transactions going on. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was the other news so. story in the last two days is um, Adam Newman has handed back the $6 million he was paid for for the trademark for the company that he founded. Yeah, very strange. <laughs> and, and the last WeWork note, they also did finally hire their first female board member this week. That's right. Uh, I guess better late than never, but also extremely late. And that, that is Frances Ray. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But she was the woman who also joined the Uber board amid crazy harassment allegations. Interesting choice, but good that they finally made that step. Absolutely. But talking about other um, challenging stories, so Slack also had its first post-IPO earnings uh, yesterday after the bell. And uh, it looks like the market was not pleased with sort of the performance, despite the fact that um, it actually beat the market on revenues, uh, 145 million against 140, which was sort of the analyst consensus. But it looks like kind of the long-term growth pattern. Um, a lot of the Wall Street investors sort of stepped back and said, you know, the the story is not the same as we were thought in the IPO. Yeah, I mean, I think as is the case with any time a company, you know, makes their very first or releases their very first earnings report, there's always a lot of, um, I think, criticism, no matter what. But Slack did end up dropping 16%. What was your take on this, Jason? I was surprised. I was a little surprised with the the negative blowback on that. I think, you know, they beat their guidance and consensus. They raised uh, their guidance for the year. Clearly not enough to meet investor expectations. But, you know, let's remember this company is really five-ish years old and is a $500 million run rate plus business mm-hmm. and 100,000 plus customers. I mean, it's it's been an extraordinary success story. It's just priced as many of these companies are for, for, for perfect, perfection. And so when you don't overachieve wildly, you do get hit pretty hard. But I think in the long term, it'll play out fine. Yeah, yeah. and in today's Slack's trading at about 30 bucks a share. Um, that's, lo- that's down from its high of $42 a share, but I have a feeling things will kind of even out. Absolutely. And then, Jason, have I mean, you been sort of paying attention to this kind of pullback in the public markets around SaaS valuations and multiples? Well, it's interesting you call it a pullback. We're, <laughs> um, we're almost trading at all-time historical mm-hmm. highs in terms of multiples. <clears throat> and we've been trading, seeing trading, you know, for instance, Salesforce, uh, which we've been investors since 2002, has ranged from probably a 4x multiple to 20x multiple over the years. Um, probably is trading at an 8 to 10x multiple today. Companies like Zoom or Slack closer to 20x multiples. So even a 10% pullback, um, you're still talking about historical, very significant valuations for these companies. I think everybody should be happy, frankly, where, where things are right now, and hope, hopefully it'll stay. Great. So we've got a lot to get through, so let's move on to a couple more IPOs that are um, expected very soon. Cloudflare this week did price their IPO. The company plans to trade um, between 10 and $12 per share, which values the company at as high as $3.5 billion. You know, uh, Cloudflare was actually on our stage many, many years ago, uh, yeah. and our battlefield was a runner-up. Um, so it has done very well in the, I think it was 2009, so a decade ago. Um, so it's amazing to see this company kind of go IPO. 
Um, you know, really solid business. I mean, I think we cover a lot of the policy and, and challenges that they face in terms of websites and uh, the Daily Stormer and a bunch of the, the discussions there. But, um, you know, as a business, it's actually quite interesting. Gross margin, 77.4%. Um, you know, but at the same time, there's been this increase in dollars lost. Um, the losses are sort of accumulating. Um, Jason, what do you think about, you know, this sort of market? You know, it's, it is a SaaS play, but it's sort of an infrastructure company. Yeah. Um, how does that play out? Uh, you know, Cloudflare is, a, I think, a great company, and clearly they, they've done extraordinarily well. We've been tracking the company for, for quite a while. Um, you know, they're probably a 250 million-ish run rate business. They've raised a fair amount of capital, over $300 million to get there. Yeah. I always look at that, kind of the amount of capital raised to the, to the run rate of the business. Um, and they still are losing money. Um, so there's, there's definitely, the question for me is really ultimately long-term, do sales and marketing costs increase as a percentage over time? Or are they getting some real leverage from the, the scale of the business? I haven't quite seen that yet. Um, so I think it, it's a great business, big market opportunity, um, good fundamentals, but um, a little less capital efficient perhaps than I'm, we've seen in some other companies. I'm curious what they will actually end up pricing on day of. So like just for comparison's sake, Slack priced $26 a share, CrowdStack $34 a share, and Zoom $36 a share. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but Zoom had set um, their price range much lower than what they actually Correct. ended up pricing at. Yeah. And you know, that this... May, may very well happen with Cloudflare just because there is so much demand for SaaS stock in Wall Street. Yeah, I, th I think, uh, you know, there's, there's been lots of arguments over the years of whether that's a good strategy or not to have a big pop the first day, right? Because you're we clearly talk about that endlessly. leaving money on the table, right, for, <laughs> yeah. for your shareholders. Um, but, you Never know, ending debate. you guys tend to cover and say it's been a great, you know, it was a great successful IPO and there's a lot of positive energy around right. the company from that. Um, so uh, the direct listing, you know, thing is an interesting mm -hmm. thing for Slack because mm -hmm. they didn't have that um, because of the nature of the way they approached uh, getting getting public. I think that we're going to see more of that going forward. Um, What's your take on IPO pops? Um, I, you know, I think that the ideal is like a 20, 30 percent pop. So not an 80, not a 100 percent one, <laughs> yeah. which clearly means you under underpriced it. Um, but, you know, there, there's a game being played here between the bankers and their institutional investors that they work with multiple times. Um, and it's really hard to know. Having been through it now several times, it is, it is super hard to know. It's, it's, uh, it's not as transparent as you would think. Well, and one of the things I always bring up, you know, it's one thing when we look at Uber or Lyft where it was a new business model and it's sort of hard to evaluate. But in SaaS, I mean, there's now dozens and dozens of public SaaS, you know, traded, publicly traded companies. Mm -hmm. um, how is it still the case that you look at a place like Cloudflare? And it's like, well, there's a huge debate on, is this a quality business? You know, are these numbers look good? Um, because you have such like reference material. You have so many yeah. ways to evaluate and comp those, those sorts of numbers. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think most people that would look at the numbers would say it's a really good business. I think the only question is valuation mm -hmm. at this point, right? Um, uh, no question in terms of growth, market size, and, and product value prop. You know, they've done a great job. I think Datadog is even more interesting in some ways. I'm sure we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I think over time, you're really looking for companies that have a competitive moat, right? And I think Back to Slack for a second, one of the overhangs on that stock is, is competition, right? With Microsoft and others that are essentially giving away similar kinds of products. So that's, that's another factor that you have to take into account is what is the competitive mode of this business over the long haul? Hey everyone, don't forget this episode is brought to you by SharesPost. So let's move on then to yeah. Datadog, as you said. Um, so Datadog is a company that filed to go public in late August. They are a monitoring and analytics service for developers and IT ops teams. Um, I think overall, we saw some pretty healthy financial results from Datadog. I, I, I read this and I was, I was just shocked at how, I mean, 
you know, people, I'm, I'm from New York. And so people always say, well, New York companies, you know, where are the IPOs or whatever? Not only do we have a great IPO, it has got to be one of the best SaaS kind of companies in terms of the n- metrics and numbers. Um, just to pull some numbers out of here, um, you know, net dollar retention rate, which is a grid kind of basis for both customer expansion and low churn, um, was 151% in 2018. And that was up from 141% in 2017. And so just, just from the basis of this company, I, I forget its top line revenue off the top of my head, but um, extremely strong growth. And it's, it's actually not that old. Um, I want to say it was seven or eight years um, into the play. So it's in, in really good shape. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also raised around 300 million or something like that. Yeah, and that, as you point out, I mean, that net retention number is kind of best in class, like 120-ish percent is probably mm-hmm. pretty typical for a lot of SaaS companies that are well-run, land and expand, but 150% means you're growing essentially 50% with your existing customer base. Mm-hmm. And so every additional sales and marketing dollar, you're now adding to that growth rate, which is why I think you see higher growth rates in this company than, than, than Cloudflare, which had lower net retention, mm-hmm. right? 110%, 115%. So the company posted... Um... 153 million in revenue in the first half of 2019. Last year, they hit nearly 200 million. Mm-hmm. And they've it, raised only 150. 150, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Even, be- even yeah. better than my mm-hmm. knowledge. So, yeah. you know, the, the best part about this also is um, the operating loss for this company is, is less than 10% uh, of revenue. So not only, you know, are you seeing really good NDRR, but the actual losses is sustained by this company. I mean, they're just not hemorrhaging money in comparison to say WeWork, but um, there's something really valuable there on the sales and marketing where they are being efficient with capital um, and I think that that's going to be a pretty strong debut on, on the market. Yeah, the other thing to remember with SaaS businesses, these are recurring revenue businesses, right? Yeah. So, you know, not only are they capital efficient, but the quality of mm-hmm. that revenue is extremely high. Yes, yes. Well, and I, I think it's also a, a great example of a company where, you know, in, in the monitoring and analytics space for, for developers, I mean, there was a lot of competition. I mean, there was a lot of uh, entrants in the space, both, be, you know, kind of after them, but also their peers. And this is just a singular company that sort of broke out between all of them. I mean, it just yeah. sort of was a workhorse and, and moved forward. So um, it, it's just super great coming from New York to see such a strong company get kind of attraction like this. Well, what I love about the developer space in particular is great products win, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, they, right. <laughs> exactly. they, they know That's the right, product. Right, right, right. And so, you know, you go to a company and, and they yes. have that they dog dashboard up and it's running their business. Um, and the whole area of DevOps is interesting. That's become obviously much more important for all companies is making sure these websites stay up, mm-hmm. right? Slack right. had some outages and stuff. So things we, like- We had an outage overnight. Yeah. Uh, we lost yep. DNS for like four and a half hours. Yeah, and it hurts, right? When it does. So um, the, the importance of yeah. this for all businesses today is, is growing. So I am a big fan of that company and the potential. Take a quick uh, distraction break. I mean, are you looking in the DevOps space? Is that still an we, attractive we have, place for Yeah, us? we have started to look at it. We looked at, at PagerDuty. We mm-hmm. kind of missed that opportunity. I think that was another great company, yeah. another great example mm-hmm. of- like keeping things up and running and reliable is how important it is today. And that company has been like incredibly right. yeah, yeah. successful. So is, is there, um, I mean, that's a great example, you know, between Datadog, PagerDuty and a couple others. I mean, is, is, is developer tools fundamentally just a better SaaS play, right? Are, are developers more loyal kind of customers, more likely to do a land and expand? Yeah. You know, is there a thesis there almost of like, they're just better customers in general compared to SMB enterprise? That's a good enterprise question. I don't, I don't know that they are long-term. I don't think they're that loyal, actually. I think, I think <laughs> yeah. they're very yeah, focused yeah. on actually trying new things yeah. all the time. And so um, I actually think to build a sustainable business in some ways, you need to get out of pure engineering and development. Mm-hmm. Um, so Slack started out selling into the engineering development side and then moved into other parts of the organization. Um, it's a great place to start. I'm not sure ultimately, you know, there's a, ton of great products always coming out. And the other thing you're dealing with is 
a lot of not invented here. Like I, you know, developers think they can build it themselves. So you're selling against, you know, a team internally that's saying, you know, you can't charge me much because if you do, I'm just going to build it myself. Well, moving on, not all SaaS companies have the best of luck on the stock exchanges. So we want to talk a little bit about Box because there was some very interesting news about the company this week. So Box went public years ago. I believe it was 2015. Right. Um, and this week it was reported that Starboard Value um, had taken a 7.5% stake in Box. And Starboard is a company that tends to invest largely in underperforming stocks. That's right. So um, in the last couple of years, you know, Box has kind of had uh, huge swings in sort of valuation. I know, Jason, uh, I think you were the lead investor for Emergence or Emergence? Was yeah, I was. And we were investors since 2011. Uh, oh. That's great. And um, we actually have Aaron Levy, hopefully on stage. I hope we do. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is his first public appearance post uh, the Starboard Value News. But, um, you know, Box has had a, a huge kind of uh, roller coaster. I mean, it had some really good years. The last six months has also declined quite a bit. What do you sort of take the stock of the company today? You know, what's sort of the future for them? Honestly, I, I think Box is one of the most underappreciated companies out there. Um, and I, I think some of it is deserved because they, they have, you know, the growth rate hasn't been quite as high as they would have liked. And they haven't been as capital efficient. Um, they were one of the first SaaS companies to really go after the enterprise. And it's a very expensive proposition. Um, so they had Dropbox at the low end and they had Microsoft, obviously, you know, as competition as well. Um, and so they had to put a lot of energy and resources into executing well in the enterprise, which they have done. I mean, we invested, it was a $10 million revenue business and they're going to be over 700 million in revenue, you know, this year. Wow. Um, I mean, they, they've grown tremendously. Um, they have a stellar team. Aaron is a truly exceptional leader, I think. Um, but the, we are entering in this new era of activist investors in SaaS and cloud companies. I think that's, the first time I've heard of that happening, it'll be very interesting to see what the impact is. And you expect so. to see more of that? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and explain, explain to our listeners why that's bad. Well, I mean, th these guys are not known necessarily for long-term, you know, investing. They're known for getting in and trying to cut costs and, and find ways of uh, generating a quick return. I mean, that's the way they, they tend to, to run. So in a business that requires a lot of upfront investment for a lot of long-term value creation, I think they're not necessarily mm -hmm. the best fit. This is my own opinion, but, um, but we'll see. It'll be an interesting thing to, to see what they, uh, what they do. Absolutely. And I think particularly the SaaS space, it, it, not just, you know, sort of the, uh, maybe vulture capital is a little too aggressive, vulture. but you know, we actually have a lot of other more um, aligned firms like Vista Equity who come in with their own playbook. They right. buy companies. Um, and in some cases, you know, you have a SaaS, let's call it a, a median performer. You know, sales and marketing might not be good. Growth is a little anemic. Right. And, you know, they kind of execute a playbook and suddenly the company's growing quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think here I'm, I'm with you. I think, um, you know, slash R&D, slash some costs, sell this off, right. junk it up, and um, they're going to try to get their 15, 20%. Yeah, I'm not and, sure how that know. plays out, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, that may work in a retail company, but uh, for technology companies, that, that could be death. Yeah. So. Well, we wanted to compare and contrast a little bit with another one of your um, investments. So Viva is a company that not a lot of people know about. We talked a little bit about this before we tape, um, before we taped. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, this company has performed incredibly well on the stock exchange. When did it go public? So Viva went public in 2013 and we were investors uh, in 2008. So it took about five years to get to And what IPO. is Viva? Viva is actually a really uh, interesting company that not a lot of folks know about because it sells just into the pharmaceutical industry. So think of it like salesforce.com for pharma. Mm -hmm. And they were one of the first to say, we're just going to focus on one kind of 
uh, customer and one industry and build solutions that are really specifically purpose-built for that industry. Um, what happened was they, they added a tremendous amount of value for those companies because it was really created uh, for those companies. Uh, pharma companies uh, are huge, profitable, and it matters a lot you know, to them. So they were able to extract a lot of dollars from those companies. So they have a tremendous amount of market share. I think something on the order of 80% plus of pharma companies now use Viva to, to manage their sales organizations. And they've produced additional products now that they sell into them. So the land and expand economics there are extraordinary. But the most amazing thing about Viva, and people don't know about it because they didn't raise a lot of money and so they didn't have a lot of media following yeah. all these you know, fancy valuations, mm -hmm. but we invested $4 million in that company. They never raised another round. And they're now a 25... They raised $4 million in total. In total. And they're now a $25 billion market cap company. Um, so it doesn't get a lot that's of coverage. That's capital efficiency. But that's, <laughs> that ratio might be unprecedented, actually. So did you just and do their seed, or was it a Series A? It was an A, yeah. Which we let, and we were the only investor in the company. Wow. Which yeah. was really nice. We're um, still involved in that company, by the way. It's a billion-dollar run rate business today. When we invested, it was less than a few million. And what was um, the valuation when they went public? About two and a half billion, I believe. And they're Some 25 nice returns. Billion. Yeah. And so it's been a 10x since mm -hmm. they went public, which you know, one of the beauties right. of these businesses when they're working and they're compounding is, you know, Salesforce went public. It was a billion dollar market cap company. And today it's 150 billion. So the post IPO compounding value here can be quite extraordinary. And we've stayed involved. We're, uh, my partner, Gordon Ritter is still chairman of the board of Viva and, and very actively involved. Um, the other thing to know about Viva is their 27% net operating margin in addition to growing yeah. at 27%. So they have this beautiful growth and profitability, um, which is quite, quite unusual. Well, absolutely. And I, the other thing is, I mean, just looking at the stock chart here, it just, it's beautiful. You know, it's like, it's like this beautiful curve you <laughs> yeah. do in like Adobe Illustrator. It's like, there's no like ups and troughs, you know, it's, it's all just... <laughs> green. It's completely <laughs> green. Um, we just don't see that often. I mean, compared to box or whatever, uh, you know, they're just sort of ups and downs. Uh, but, you know, let's look, let's look more broadly. You know, we talked about a couple of different SaaS companies, but like I said, you know, I called it a pullback and I think you're right as a 10%, but you know, what, what's sort of happening in the SaaS and cloud space in general? I mean, are investors still have a wide appetite for a lot of these companies, or are we starting to get to a point where, God, it's saturation, now there's dozens and dozens of companies, it's right. hard to tell the difference between this, that, and the other. Microsoft and Google are getting into a lot of these categories and are being, you know, the trillion dollar company competitors. How, how do you see the, the macro scale today? Yeah, it's, um, so we're still 100% focused on, on enterprise and cloud, so we obviously still believe there's a ton of value to be created there. Um, what, what we have seen is there, there are definitely a lot of Me Too companies coming out and taking thinner and thinner slices of functionality in the mm -hmm. enterprise. But that's also um, being uh, disrupted. Some of the really kind of original phase one SaaS companies are starting to think about what, like, what's next. And for us, you know, this kind of user generated uh, focus, consumer focus on, on product, AI and machine learning, mobile first applications, um, these industry specific applications that can go after different yeah. uh, opportunities like financial services and others. I mean, we still, we still think that there's a ton uh, of opportunity. And the nice thing is for the companies that are working, the capital markets are there to fund mm -hmm. the growth. Um, we hope they're as capital efficient as Viva. That would be the best. But, but if they're not, can't um, they can't all be. Um, Zoom was another one that you know, was right. extraordinarily capital efficient. But the capital markets are there to fuel this growth. So we, we're as bullish as we've ever, ever been on the opportunity. How, how do you feel about you know, the translation from private to public? You know, is there still this kind of overhang where you kind of go and hit a wall as, as you know, there's just a different set of 
metrics and kind of multiples, or do you think that there's sort of a beautiful continuum today in the enterprise sector? I, it's certainly not a linear continuum. I mean, I do feel like the later stage private markets have gotten overheated um, in, in some ways. Um, and fewer and fewer companies actually are, are going public today compared to, let's say, you know, back in the 2000s, right? So we had three or 400 IPOs mm -hmm. this year. Maybe we'll have maybe 100, right? Right. But Even though it seems like things it seems have like a lot, quite a bit. But they're bigger and they're more mature and they're raising more capital. So it seems yeah. like, you know, we have this IPO frenzy, mm -hmm. but it's really just fewer and higher quality companies. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately it's good for companies to be public. Um, it's just more accountable kind of to shareholders and customers. And from a branding perspective, it still has a lot of value. So Zoom didn't need to go public. It had plenty of cash. They were right. cash flow positive. There was no reason to go public other than the fact that I think Eric really felt like uh, it would help his customers feel more comfortable about betting mm -hmm. on Zoom as a platform. Well, before we close out, I just want to hit on just a couple more trends we're seeing at the very, very early stage of startups, um, like we talked about. There is this whole fleet now of productivity tools, prosumer tools, these B2B companies that want to help developers and employees do their jobs better. So I'm curious, what have you seen? Is this a trend that you're interested in? Are, are these valuations of these sort of new age working tools justified? Um, we, we're, we're all about like the future of work and helping people be more productive in their jobs and, and software by far has been the thing that, you know, we think has the most potential positive impact on that uh, livelihood. So for us, it's really is about like end users being delighted by these right. products and saving them time and taking away the drudgery of, of some of their job to make what they do more creative and interesting. And we have a thesis around what we call coaching networks, which is kind of the marriage of software and human beings and creating kind of real time feedback mm -hmm. in your job. For instance, we were talking like, what would you like to, to write about? It would pop up, you know, three stories, right? That um, maybe you should be focused on this and you would mm -hmm. say, oh no, those are the three that I wanted. And it would learn actually which kinds of stories you like to write about and why. Mm. And so like, wouldn't that be cool? Right. And so all of our jobs hopefully will be becoming better and more fulfilling because computers and software will be smart enough to help us be, make us smarter. Well, but, uh, but will so. the artificial intelligence agent be nice? Cause we get feedback all the time. I get yeah. emails, we get <laughs> iTunes reviews about yeah. my laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's too loud for people and poor Chris has to cut that it down. And... <laughs> It'll be nice if I have anything to do with it, Danny. Yeah, but, exactly. uh, but... Oh, and I see a review from Jay Green Emergence. <laughs> uh, I'll know where it's coming from. <laughs> okay, great. Well, let's close out then. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us and good luck on your panel in a few minutes. And thanks, Danny. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Danny. Bye. You can find us on Twitter at Alex and at Kate Clark tweets, or you can email us at equitypod at techcrunch.com. And we are now on YouTube. Watch the full episode on the TechCrunch YouTube page. And if you really want to support the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes. And you can also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and all the other places where you get podcasts. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week.